Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. $1.9 trillion, and it's not the last one, and that's the story. It's not that the House gathering together, having the vote, get the $1.9 trillion through. That's not the story. That's nowhere near the story. The story is certainly, what would they call it, the pork that they're voting for? How, when you take a look at the COVID relief bill, San Francisco loses their budget deficit. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. That's part of this. Did the people of Indiana and Nebraska really just say, yes, we're more than happy to take care of San Francisco's failures? And yet, when it's discussed, it's discussed with pride. And we don't know why Republicans aren't coming along. Why they don't care about the American people. $100 million to the San Francisco, the Bay Area subway system? You're right, I, I don't care. Of course not. I want no part of it. I would rather the people in Nebraska and Indiana be able to keep their own money and spend it on the things that they want to spend it on, like, you know, Uber and Lyft. Because that's how people actually want to get around. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. This is just the beginning. When I heard this from Speaker Pelosi, I said, hmm, this is worth noting. Oh, she's very proud of Joe Biden. So proud of Joe Biden. But this is only the beginning in her own words. But my praise right now goes to the president of the United States, Joe Biden. This is the Biden American Rescue Plan. It will be followed by the American Recovery Plan. And it's about just that, saving lives and livelihoods and giving people hope for the future. His presidency does just that. Uh, This legislation is a reflection of his values. This legislation is a reflection of his values. So Joe Biden's values involve bailing out San Francisco. But did you catch that part in the middle? This is the Biden American Rescue Plan. It will be followed by the American Recovery Plan. This is only one plan, $1.9 trillion. There have been $5 trillion spent on COVID relief, and we are now going to do it again. This is the, 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 what, this is the rescue, and then there's the recovery. Pretty soon there's going to be the rejuvenation plan and the, the resurrection plan, the regeneration plan. I, who knows? I can't think of any other R words at the moment. Sorry. Radish. That's that has nothing to do with the concept, but thank you. That is an R word, producer Ari. Well done, well played. This is awful and getting worse. And listen to the glee in her voice. So so proud. So absolutely positively proud of herself and proud of this spending. Well, she must be extra proud of herself. Look what she's done for her district. That's right. Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco. Wiped out their debt, according to the reporting. 
Uh, it will ease most of San Francisco's projected $650 million budget deficit for the next two years and give $685 million in financial relief to Nassau and Suffolk County governments in New York. That's what we voted for. And I'm supposed to believe that this is smart economic procedure. We've done great work here. That's obscene. But it's just one of the great examples of what got voted for. People don't play it down the line. This is what happened. This is what you got. A Biden team that is completely irresponsible and incapable and flat out incompetent when it comes to the border. Oh, I'll get into the border. Oh, it's an ugly scene and it's all their fault. Every bit of their fault. A team that wants to take credit for uh, coronavirus vaccines and can't, so they're making a big deal about how they're ordering another 100 million doses from Johnson & Johnson. I have no problem with you doing that. I would only assume that that should be done. You're going to need more doses of vaccine. You know what I need you to do, Producer Ari? I need you to to back this up. This comes from a site called ourworldindata.org, and it's about COVID vaccine doses administered. And you take a look at this, and I, I just want to see if I can get back up from another another site. It's got all different uh, countries here, right? A whole bunch of different uh, countries listed. China, and then it's got the entirety of the EU, then it breaks it down into the United Kingdom and Germany and other places. And uh, the, the most of them have uh, less than 20 million doses that have been administered And the U.S. is well over, I think it's like 90 million doses. I'm very, very curious as to how this happened. America couldn't do anything right. America can't test right. America can't lock down right. America's just this big, dopey place filled with big, dopey people that do big, dopey things. Right? We're a racist nation, and that explains why of children are amassing at the border trying to get in. It makes, it makes perfect sense. But we're, it is correct. We have administered 90.35 million doses. Good for us. Maybe we do know how to do something right. Maybe other nations need to learn from us. But it's not going to get discussed that way. It's not going to get played that way. It's not going to explain that way. It's going to be, well, it went to the, the, the richest people first. There are people who are making the argument that the way we have administered vaccine is racist because it went to the elderly first and there are more elderly white people than elderly black people. And the answer is yes. Now what? If you want to make the argument, well, there are specific reasons why that is the case and we need to work on levels of black mortality in America, I'll say to you, okay, why why wouldn't I? Some things could be uh, access related and some things could be cultural related. Let's look at all of it. Why why, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't any rational person say, hmm, that's interesting? 
But now you're dealing with a vaccine, and you have to give it to the people who are the most susceptible, and we have made the decision based on the science that's on age. Now we should go against that because it's not right because not enough black people are getting the vaccine. It's Do you know how diseased in the head one has to be to go down that road? Because you got to be pretty diseased to go down that road. Now we're gonna we're gonna really get into this. Something that's happening in my beloved Indianapolis with how they want to train police officers ties in to conversations uh, that are happening regarding anti-racism and and uh, critical race theory and the bigotry that that teaches. And it does. And and I'm gonna break it down further. I'm always gonna come on those subjects with receipts because this is the stuff that gets you fired and and i i I have discussed this on on my other show i've discussed this before i have discussed this with my wife we understand it it may happen but i'm not going to sit here and allow this conversation of anti-racism and critical race theory to happen in schools and in police departments and other places without recognizing the bigotry that it is because it is indeed bigotry. And one of the, one of the weirdest things about it is that it, 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 there's this assumption that it's, oh, it's, it's just going after white kids in and, and, and schools. No, no. It's just like boycott, divestment, and sanction, which is anti-Semitism. It doesn't attack Jewish kids on college campuses. I mean, it does, but it attacks Christian kids on college campuses. And critical race theory absolutely goes after black kids, or what's the expression, people of color? I'm going to break it all down, and I'm going to continue to do so and continue to have these open conversations, unworried about what names uh, they, they call me. Meaningless, meaningless stuff, what they're saying. The facts remain. The facts remain that the U.S. has given out more vaccine than anybody else. How are we doing it? When will other countries learn from us? Because they should. Now, I, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to do any more, but I, I just got my hands on the audio. And it's Piers Morgan. <gasps> Piers Morgan. Of course, it was the interview with, with Oprah and with, uh, with, with Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry. Do I believe? Do I not believe? Do I, do I think uh, that, you know, they, they called the queen racist? Well, they did. And, and do I think that's true? And I don't. And does it matter? No. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm past it. It's for other people to worry about, and, and, and I can't. I have no idea if Meghan Markle's telling the truth or not. I have no idea if Harry's telling the truth or, or not. Piers Morgan went nuts, right? Piers Morgan does a lot of good work on free speech, a lot of absolutely terrible work on the Second Amendment, and uh, he's a pretty vocal cat. He goes half insane, half cocked, saying that Meghan Markle's a liar. Some people on the show, Good Morning Britain, viscerally disagree with him. He gets up and walks off, comes back later. But because of his comments, 41,000 people complain. And there's some rules and laws in, in Britain about what you can say and can't say and causing harm. And, and remember, they don't believe in free speech like we believe in free speech. The Brits, they're not Americans. They don't see free speech the way we do. He looks at those complaints and says, all right, I'll quit. I'll quit. And then he's got a statement on his thoughts about Meghan Markle. I believe in freedom of speech. 
I believe in the right to uh, be allowed to have an opinion. Uh, if people want to believe Meghan Markle, that's entirely their right. I don't believe almost anything that comes out of her mouth. And I think the damage she's done to the British monarchy and to the Queen at a time when Prince Philip is lying in hospital is enormous and frankly contemptible. So uh, if I have to fall on my sword for expressing an honestly held opinion about Meghan Markle and that diatribe of bilge that she came out with in that interview, so be it. And that's why sometimes you got to just say, all right, if it means the gig, it means the gig. I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a question about what, what are you willing to do, right? The world is happening and these things are happening and are you willing to stand up or not? Now, now I think he could have said many, many other things about Meghan Markle in a different way and it worked for him. There's a question there about are you willing to stand up? What are you willing to sacrifice? I'm Tony Katz. So in this conversation we were just having about how well we're doing in administering the vaccine, let's take a look at a couple other things. Specifically, Merck and Eli Lilly. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Merck, right, pharmaceutical company, had tried to work on a coronavirus vaccine. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. So what did they do? They took the research they had and said, okay, let's look at therapeutics. It's one thing to say, how do we stop people from getting COVID? It's another thing to say, how do we make sure that we, who people who have COVID can get well quicker? So they just released the results of their phase 2A randomized clinical trial. It's evaluating the safety, tolerability, and efficacy of, of, the, of their drug. The drug is called Molnupiravir to slow down the replication of the virus. Basically, it stalls the ability of the virus to make more copies of itself. And it's working in a huge way. I love the story because it's a story of perseverance. They didn't say, oh, well, it didn't work. Uh, let's give up. They looked at it and said, what else can we utilize some data for? What else can we do? Now, also knowing that there's certainly an economic incentive in this. And that economic incentive could very well have been the thing that said, okay, what else can we do here? The people who, who believe that we're better off with government-run everything, do you think a government-run lab could have gotten us the vaccine? I don't. And I don't think rational people believe it either. It took individuals with, yes, profit motive, also a motive to stay alive, to get out there and start developing. It took government ensuring uh, that they were out of the way. They said, look, we're going to order this because we need this, but you go to it. That was the extent of government. And some people can say that's a proper application of government right there. Especially when we're discussing provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare. Wouldn't that be both things? But really, really good on Merck. I love what this is. This is done uh, in conjunction with a group called Ridgeback Biotherapeutics. That brings us to Eli Lilly and their COVID-19 drug combo. The study 
shows that what they have put together, honestly, don't ask me to, to say the names. I can't. I cannot. Uh, I can't. If you do it, if you make me do it, I will actually choke on my tongue. Like, I can't pronounce the words whatsoever. They determined that the utilization of their drugs, their antibody drugs, reduced hospitalizations and deaths by 87%. This is all fantastic stuff. We're very focused on vaccines, and I I think that makes sense. But the recognition of understanding the value of the therapeutics, of how you help people who may get the virus still, being able to have that ability, this is exactly how you deal with things. You work that first line to try and prevent the, the, the virus from happening, recognizing that viruses can mutate and viruses can change and other things can happen, and now you've got the drugs behind it that can help the people who get sick. This is huge stuff. And I think it's important that we're taking a look at this and reminding people that Big Pharma kicks ass. They're awesome. The hatred for Big Pharma, the disgust of Big Pharma, Big Pharma's the problem. We should be suing Big Pharma. There are cities and municipalities and states that want to sue for uh, uh, you know, abuses of, of, of pain relievers. People should live in pain. If you have a doctor who's, you know, selling prescription pads, okay, go after them. But if people are getting prescription medications to reduce pain so they can live good full lives, that's good. We don't want to put an end to that. And because people get addicted to it, you don't go after the pharmaceutical company. Now, if they lied, okay. If they lied, producer Ari, you can go after them. My issue is that Pharmaceutical companies have lobbied very, very hard so that there is, for pain relief, that insurance does not cover anything other than pills, which I don't like. I feel like it's manipulative. If you want to make the argument that other things should be covered, that's not saying that the pills shouldn't be prescribed. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm just saying I think they've... They made sure that that's the only option. You're making an argument that a business is working in the best interest of the business, and I think you might have a point, not being an expert on it, you might have a point that we should open these things up, but we shouldn't stop them from selling. We shouldn't have people living in pain because somebody else has an addiction issue or somebody else thinks it's wrong. Sure. And most importantly, we shouldn't be attacking Big Pharma. We should be thanking them. Save the world, right? Not only built vaccines in record time, but built therapeutics that are showing unbelievable efficacy. That's good stuff. Only in America, baby. Operation Warp Speed worked. That's Trump. And Biden should say so. See that? I just threw in the political jab right there. I'm Tony Katz. One, two, three, four, five, six. I don't even know where six is in the schoolhouse rock anthology. But six women have accused Andrew Cuomo of sexual impropriety. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 
Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Go to TonyKatz.com, subscribe to the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate it. We moved it over to a new spot. So just click on podcast and then boom, right there. You can catch it at Rumble or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Greatly, uh, greatly uh, appreciate that. By the way, getting reported that Marjorie Taylor Greene has stalled the final vote on the $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus? Well, of course she did. How is she the deciding vote? Follow the bouncing ball producer, Ari. They took Marjorie Taylor Greene, Representative Greene of Georgia, and they said, you're a little nutty, to which she is a little nutty. Uh-huh. Um, lasers and the Rothschilds, I rest my case, and please don't try to defend such a thing. It's nuts. That's all I'm saying. I have said she ain't my person. I have said I'm not interested in having coffee with her. But I would interview her. I saw her at CPAC. She walked right by. And I know she's going to vote the way I want her to on, on a vast number of subjects, right? I'm just going to be the beneficiary of the votes, and I, and I assume she's going to get voted out after one term. But they took away her committee assignments because of some wild things that, that were said. So you know what she has to do all day? Nothing. Constituent services, right? The people she represents. And that's it. So she has nothing but time every single day to say, how can I screw with the Democrats today? Oh, boy. Every single day. I guess I don't blame her, but... Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene can say to herself... How do I screw with Nancy Pelosi today? What can I do to totally screw her up and waste their time? What can I do, me Marjorie Taylor Greene? To totally drive Representative Ocasio-Cortez bat crap crazy. I have no idea how the theme of Beretta works into that, but I went with it. And so she's got this time. So what she's engaged in are procedural motions. It's just to drive them crazy. So right now, it's an hour-long vote on a motion to adjourn the House of Representatives. Now, she did this during CPAC when they were voting on the, on the first COVID relief bill. She made this thing go for hours by putting, putting forth the procedural motion and the members of the House have to leave their offices, head over to the Capitol, and vote. Should we adjourn? Should we not adjourn? That's what she's doing. The motion to adjourn was defeated 149 to 235, 41 Republicans voting against it. It's, it's, it she can't, she's not on a committee. She's like, how do I fight this? Um, and, and, and that's how she's fighting it. That's how she, I gotta admit, it's pretty funny. I, I mean, I, I appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the hustle. You, maybe, maybe they should put her back on a committee and she won't have the time to do these things. Maybe. Meanwhile, six women are saying Andrew Cuomo is guilty of sexual impropriety. It's a very interesting story that we are focused on these these women. 
And I am not here to say that their stories don't matter. I am saying that we have six women who have said one way or another, Andrew Cuomo was inappropriate, including one woman who says she was summoned to the executive mansion and there was a lot of improperness from the governor, uh, somebody who worked on his staff. There are 15,000 people who would love to speak out about Governor Cuomo's impropriety, but can't. Those 15,000 dead New Yorkers because of nursing homes. And no matter how much the Cuomo administration wants to say it was the staff that's responsible for bringing coronavirus in, it is Andrew Cuomo who is responsible for not allowing those nursing home patients once out to stay out, like in a hospital. He ordered them back in. And we now know that it wasn't just nursing homes. It affected homes for people with developmental disabilities. It was a directive from April 10th, New York, uh, I'm sorry, Fox News reporting. Same type of order as that for nursing homes. Told homes for people with these developmental disabilities that they could not require hospitalized residents to be tested for coronavirus prior to admission or readmission. You just had to take them. You had to take them. You didn't get to know. 500. 52 residents at homes for people with developmental disabilities died of coronavirus. If you want to discuss how in the beginning, maybe you didn't know, how would you have known the virus was going to spread amongst elderly populations or close, closely packed uh, uh, populations? Okay, we all had a learning curve. We were all taking in the data as quickly as possible. But there came a moment you knew, we all knew. And Governor Andrew Cuomo never changed his position. So we should be clear that his culpability is large, massive. Oh, he's guilty of a whole bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with the six women. Although you now have New Yorkers all over the place calling for his resignation. He's refused to resign. You've got leaders. I think, I think it was the leader of the, of the New York Senate Democrat saying, yeah, it's, it's time to go. You've got this push everywhere. I am. I certainly was of the opinion that there's no way he resigns. And I, and I think that certainly there's an argument to be made that he doesn't resign. Uh, I'm 50-50 on it at this moment. This pressure is hot and heavy and can only get hotter and heavier. I don't think it goes from this to, okay, it's over. Now, maybe these people are waiting for something. One photo, one video, one recorded statement. You know, I, 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 I don't think it should have to uh, come to that. But maybe that's what people are, are somewhat searching for. I read there was one New York Politico who said, uh, uh, if, if there's any more than three allegations, I will... Uh, I'll call for him to resign. And then there was five, and that Politico then said nothing, like totally clammed up. (laughs) Didn't realize it could get this bad. But it does say something about us culturally that these six women get more play than 15,000 dead people. That's problematic, producer Ari. It's easier for people to 
the nursing home issue is a lot more complicated. I think people resonate towards things that are simpler, and the the idea of harassing women inappropriately resonates with everyone. It these things have to be ranked and. Somebody being inappropriate doesn't rank as highly as somebody dying. Of course not. But so this is this is the point that I'm making. This is this is something that we need to start seriously reflecting on. And it could be that we're not talking about we as people, but we're talking about we as a national media apparatchik. Because we've created a society where you can't even politically defend somebody who was sexually inappropriate. We're going to politically defend somebody who lied about the number of deaths in nursing homes? Maybe our politics has gone just a little too far. Maybe we're a little too tribal. Maybe we're just a little too willing to say because there's an RD after somebody's name, well, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, oopsie. That's what the story tells me. That's what this moment is 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 imparting upon me, and I want to share it. I am not saying that these women don't have stories to tell. I'm not saying that Andrew Cuomo isn't a scumbag. I will concede the point. Andrew Cuomo is a scumbag, or you can put the emphasis on 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 scum. Your your, your choice. But dear Lord, fifteen thousand people are dead. Thousands of people who didn't have to be in nursing homes, hundreds of people who didn't have to be possibly in these developmental, uh, developmentally disabled homes. He should be held to account for that, regardless of the rest. I'm Tony Katz. I don't know who let Disney CEOs talk out loud, but seriously, try try and put him back into the box. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, talking about Gina Carano's firing from The Mandalorian. I got to get into this later. Had nothing to do with politics and that values that are universal wants Disney to make content that is reflective of the rich diversity of the world that we live in. I, why are you talking For what reason are you speaking with words coming out of your mouth and whatnot? I I will, I will, I will get into that later. I got to talk about Joe Biden getting ready for the big press conference tomorrow. Big press conference, Joe Biden scheduled for tomorrow. How much of an absolute disaster is this going to be? And right now, I am putting my price tag, I'm putting my bet, if you will, on not a disaster at all. I know, right? The most tightly controlled press conference you have ever seen in your entire life that will be canceled at a moment's notice and i am not so sure that this press conference will even happen in front of reporters live i am willing to bet all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket 
that what's going to happen is that he is going to be in some location, whether it's the Oval or what have you, and then the monitor will be there, and then people will be called on to ask their questions, and then there'll be a microphone that doesn't work or an earpiece that doesn't work. That will be it. That's my bet. I'll take that. You think he's going to do it live? So here's my Joe Biden. I, I don't want to be mean. I, I don't. Oh, you don't want to be mean? He's, he's not. You know, he's not the sharpest speaker, but I will give him credit. He outperformed expectations in the debates. So my, my I feel like I don't want to bet against him because every time I think, oh, he's going to screw up this debate, he actually did serviceable. So I'll take so that So the bet. difference between the two things goes as follows. The debate prep is very, very intense, which is why he wasn't on the campaign trail. The debate prep is very, very focused. The debate prep allows you to have certain pat answers and pat responses, and you had a moderator who was in your corner. That is not necessarily the case for a press conference where people can ask follow-up questions, where reporters can press. And we should be clear, everyone knows. You know, yesterday I think it said it was it was the mo- longest a president has gone without doing a press conference in 40 years. No, 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 no. A hundred years. It is. It is the longest a president has gone without giving a press conference. Uh, Trump did it in 28 days, and, and, and uh, I think it was 28 days. And uh, Barack Obama did it in 20 days. No, you, you haven't reversed, but yeah. No, 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 no. Obama did it before Trump. I know. That's what you you just said. The opposite, though. I said I said Trump twenty eight days, Obama twenty days. You said the opposite. No, I didn't. Oh, my bad. Go back and listen to the tape. How dare you? How dare you question me? You're good. So I I am not I am not convinced. Now, as for why he hasn't had the press conference, Jim Clyburn talking to Neil Cavuto. On Fox, and, and to Neil's credit, Neil pushes back, but Representative Clyburn, who's responsible for Joe Biden being elected, holy cow. There's no reluctance on this president's part uh, to interact with the press. And I think there's something already why, why, why isn't he? Uh, simply because we're busy doing other things right now. We aren't uh, here just to satisfy the media. We. If Donald Trump refused to do press conferences, all you'd hear about was, uh, why isn't he talking to the media? As a matter of fact, oh, look, he's not having briefings. No normal briefings. Why isn't he having briefings? Jim Clyburn's out of his head. But it gets more fascinating. To satisfy the American people. We get this bill signed, uh, done tomorrow, signed this week, and he's already told you he's going to be out there among the American people selling this bill. And every media person will have an opportunity to ask him as many questions well, as Congressman, I got to tell like you, you're not a, you, you haven't avoided the media. You haven't avoided any networks. You always talk to me. You always talk to others throughout this whole process. So you're juggling. And I know you're not the President of the United States, but a lot of people are being in a wonder you know and the other day when he forgot his defense secretary's name is there something we should be worried about or is this much ado about nothing that's a very good question that's a very good question because biden did forget lloyd austin's name check out jim clyburn representative clyburn's answer is much to do about nothing i think you know as well as i do and i've talked to the president about this uh, that he has uh, a, uh, what do we call, stuttering 
uh, has always been a problem with this president. He's been very open with that. It doesn't affect his brain at all, uh, but it sometimes uh, affects his speech. And so that's an issue that all of us know is there. And I don't know why we keep trying to make something out of it. You're the one who brought up stuttering, not Neil Cavuto. You're the one who made something out of it, Representative Clyburn. Now, I'll tell you, I I once got accused of mocking Joe Biden stuttered. Not what I was doing. Wasn't my best Fox performance, but not what I was doing because I wouldn't mock anybody's stutter. My younger brother stuttered until the day he died. It just wouldn't be something that I do. But people in social media weren't interested in that. They were just interested in the attack. I don't know how this plays. When he forgets, it's because, as Jim Clyburn says, it's because of a stutter. I think people think that he forgets. I think people question his mental acuity. I think people question whether or not he's all there. And there's enough video evidence to show he doesn't seem like he's all there. I can't diagnose the guy. I'm not a doctor. I'm not in front of him. I think Jim Clyburn is is reaching and trying way too hard. I think trying to keep people from being able to ask what is a legitimate question about the mental acuity of Joe Biden. I'm Tony Katz.